Welcome to the Side the Burn for Monday the 7th of June 2021. On Sunday past we celebrated communion together as a church family in uh, the church building and it was the first time that we'd been able to sit around the Lord's table uh, since before that first lockdown in March uh, 2020. So it was a very special occasion for us after so long away to be able to come together and share this very special meal together. It's always a special time because we're sharing in fellowship with our Lord and Saviour. We're remembering what he has done for us. And this week, I want us just to think a little bit about what we have done in sharing communion together. And I want us to consider the meaning of the supper and to consider what it was that we were doing. And in doing that, I'm going to look at some of the things that I would share with new communicants whenever they're coming forward to the Lord's table and some of the information that I'd share with them, some of the Bible verses that we'd read, and just to get an idea of what the Lord's table is all about. So today we're going to begin with the Lord's Supper and how it began. And I'm going to follow some of the booklet that the Presbyterian Church has produced uh, to help new communicants uh, as they're coming forward. So the Lord's Supper was established by Jesus uh, just before the crucifixion. Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room to celebrate the Passover together. And during the meal, he broke bread. He shared it with them, explaining that this would remind them of his own body broken for them on the cross. He then offered them wine to drink to remind them of his blood that was shed to wash away their sins. And this shedding of blood also sealed a new covenant of commitment uh, between God and all followers of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 26, verse 26, uh, we read about how the Lord's Supper began. Uh, There we read, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then also we uh, read uh, similar things in Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke 22 and verse 17. Uh, we, We read there the following. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then Paul also gives us more information in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and verse 23. And there he is um, telling us, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
The Jewish Passover, of course, was the forerunner of the Lord's Supper. In it, the Jews remembered how their lives had been saved because of the blood of the Lamb that had been sprinkled on the doorposts of their houses. And you can go and read about that in Exodus chapter 12. In the Lord's Supper, Christians remember how they have been saved because of the blood of Christ that has been sprinkled for them. And there's therefore a very strong link between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And if we go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 to 21, we read, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Christians therefore continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly because Jesus himself has commanded it. In the Lord's Supper, Christ's death is remembered, his risen presence is experienced, and faith and devotion to him are renewed. So Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the church. And a sacrament is a visual aid which illustrates and confirms the spiritual truths and promises contained in the gospel. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the bread represents Christ's body broken on the cross and the wine his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. By participating in the Lord's Supper, we share by faith in the living Christ and all the benefits of his death. A sacrament is meaningless without faith. Those who come to the Lord's Supper should have faith in Christ as the one who has died for their sins. And there's some very clear teaching in the shorter catechism about the sacraments and indeed about the sacrament of communion. So in question 91 in the shorter catechism, how do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his Spirit in them that by faith receive them. The next question, question 92, is what is a sacrament? And a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed and applied to believers. Which are the sacraments of the New Testament? The sacraments of the New Testament are baptism and the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth, and the worthy receivers are, not after a corporal and carnal manner, but by faith, made partakers of his body and blood, with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. And then question 97. What is required to the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? 
It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves in their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment on themselves. And then just finally today, the Lord's Supper we obviously use lots of different names to refer to it. And the title of the Lord's Supper takes us back to the Last Supper when Christ first instructed his disciples to observe this special meal. Uh, the communion service, we often say this title emphasizes our communion or fellowship with God at the Lord's table. Uh, those who meet at the Lord's table are called communicants. And some churches use the term the, the breaking of bread to describe the Lord's Supper. So that's just a little introduction today as to where the Lord's Supper has come from and uh, why we celebrate it together and what a, a sacrament is. So let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been able to share around your table this weekend and we thank you for the blessing that we have received on that. Lord, we acknowledge that that blessing is nothing to do with us and nothing to do with those in the church who have administered it to us. But we recognise that it is all because of you and the blessing that you bring. We recognise, Lord, that a sacrament is meaningless without faith. And so we put our faith in you this day. And we thank you for your blood which was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. We thank you for your body which was broken as you suffered and died so that our sins could be taken away. And therefore, Lord, as we come before you this day, we pray that we would know your presence and know your blessing and that you would continue with us each and every day. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Tuesday the 8th of June 2021. We're continuing our thoughts this week on our communion service on Sunday past and what it means to uh, take communion, to uh, share in the Lord's Supper. And we're looking at some of the material that the Presbyterian Church has produced uh, to help new communicants as they come uh, to the table for the first time. And I thought it would be good to share some of that with you and just for us all to, to think again about how we first came to the table uh, and what that means for us uh, and what the significance of eating and drinking communion is for us. Yesterday we looked at how the Lord's Supper began uh, and today we're going to think about the meaning of Christ's death. You see, in the Lord's Supper we remember Christ's death for sinners. The Bible teaches us many wonderful things about the death of Christ and indeed its benefits for believers. So we're going to think carefully about some of those at different areas of Christ's death and the meaning behind it today and look at a few Bible verses as well. They're not going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to read them to you as we go through. And the first meaning of Christ's death is cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us or purifies us from every sin. We read in 1 John 1 and verse 7, but if we walk in the light 
as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So Jesus' blood shed for us purifies us from all sin, cleanses us from all sin. And this means that um, sins past and present are forgiven as we confess them to God. Christ's cleansing blood makes believers fit to come to God and fit to come to the Lord's table and indeed fit to enter heaven. That it is the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us. It's not because we've been good for a couple of weeks and therefore we think we should come to the table or we might be allowed to come to the table. It is only because of what Christ has done that we can come. Nothing of ourselves we bring simply to the cross I cling and it is the blood of Jesus. So in Revelation 7 uh, and um, verse 14 uh, we read that uh, John has been given the uh, vision of uh, heaven. He's speaking to the angel. He said, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And this is the washing of our robes, the washing of our lives, as it were, in the blood of the lamb. And whenever we are washed in the blood, then we become white, white as snow. And again, it's the cleansing work of the death of Jesus. So what's the meaning of Christ's death? First of all, it is cleansing. Then we see that the meaning of Christ's death is sacrifice. And we're going to see that from Hebrews chapter 9 and and verse 26 in a moment. In Old Testament times, the sins of God's people were forgiven through the sacrifice of a lamb. And that lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. And by his death, Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificed himself once and for all to take away our sins. And in Hebrews 9 verse 26 we read otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The death of Jesus is about sacrifice. A sacrifice that has been made for our sin. A sacrifice that takes away our sin. Notice that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross doesn't need to be repeated. It is once and for all. And 
that's where we um, come at odds with some churches which would say that each time that uh, communion is celebrated that the sacrifice is made again. But that's not what it says in Hebrews. It tells us in Hebrews very plainly that the sacrifice has been made once and for all not to be repeated each time that we eat the bread and drink the cup. But those are symbols of what has already taken place. Then we also find that not only the Christ's death is cleansing and sacrifice, but it is also substitution. And I think this is one of the, the most powerful uh, illustrations of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, on the cross, Christ became the believer's substitute. He stood in our place and he took the punishment for our sins. You know what it's like to have a substitute in a, a sporting game. Somebody is taken off the field of play and another player is put in their place and they are to do everything that the player was doing beforehand. The substitute comes on and takes over. The one who has been taken off no longer can take part in the game. They can only sit and watch what has taken place and that's how Jesus is our substitute. At the moment where we deserve to be punished for our sin, Jesus comes on and takes our place. In Isaiah 53 and verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. And there we see quite clearly that Jesus Christ takes on that punishment that was due to us and stands in our place. Also in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 we read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And again, that quotes from Isaiah 53 and reminds us that Jesus took our sin on his body on the cross as a substitute for us. Christ's death is also all about redemption. In ancient times, a slave could be set free whenever a ransom price was paid. And this process was called redemption. The slave was now free to live a new life. And the person who provided redemption was called the Redeemer. And therefore, Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, paid the ransom price for us. Every Christian has been freed from slavery to sin and now lives a new life for Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. And we read about that in Ephesians 1 and uh, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And then also in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and his death. Jesus' death is also about justification. And we see that um, from Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Justification is a legal term which refers to freedom from guilt. Through Christ's death on the cross, Christians are justified or they're declared free from their guilt of sin. They're now right with God and will not be punished for their sins on judgment day. And Romans, Paul tells us, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So Christ's death is about justification. It's also about reconciliation. This is the reconciliation of broken relationships. Sin has broken that personal relationship which originally existed between God and man. Um, By his death on the cross, Christ removes our sin and reconciles us to God. A, A new relationship with God begins. And in that very next verse from Romans 5 and verse 10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We're reconciled. Our relationship is brought back by Jesus and his death on the cross. And then also from 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only have we been reconciled, but now we're called to be involved in that reconciliation with others. And then finally for today, Christ's death also means a covenant. A covenant is a mutual commitment which binds two people together. For example, marriage is a covenant. And when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was to seal a new covenant between God and all believers in Jesus Christ. So in Luke 22 and verse 20, we read this. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured for you. And in the covenant, God commits himself to a special relationship with all who love Christ. He will always be their God, for this is an everlasting covenant. And we read about that in Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, the eternal covenant that lasts forever. So Jesus' death means many things to us. It means cleansing and sacrifice, substitution, redemption, justification, reconciliation, covenant, All these things are brought to us because Jesus has died for us. So let's bow in prayer and let's thank Jesus today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come and died for us. We thank you that you have brought us cleansing um, in our lives to take away our sin. We thank you, Lord, that you've offered yourself in our place as our substitute, as a sacrifice for our sins. 
And Lord, we thank you for the redemption, the freedom that comes through all that you have done and the reconciliation that you have brought us. Lord, we come to you today with thanksgiving and with praise and we leave these our prayers before you now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Wednesday the 9th of June. You join us as we continue our meditations about communion and what it means to share in the Lord's Supper. And we shared on Sunday together around the table for the first time in in over a year because of COVID. And now this week we're just um, looking at some of the material that our Presbyterian Church has provided for those who are coming to the table for the first time. And I thought it would be good just simply to remind ourselves about what communion is all about and why we come to communion and what happens whenever we take communion. So I'm simply going to uh, read through some of this material, also look up some of the Bible verses that they provide in it, uh, and hopefully that will help us. And so today we're thinking about what it means to share in the Lord's Supper. And whenever we share in the Lord's Supper, we should always make preparation. We make preparations for all sorts of events in life. It's very important that we prepare ourselves for this special act of worship. And self-examination should always precede us coming to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And uh, therefore, that's uh, important. We might ask ourselves questions. How close am I to my Saviour Christ? What faults or feelings must I confess to God? Is there something I must put right with another person before I come to the table? Questions like these should be answered truthfully before God and his help sought before we come to the table. And... Whenever in the past we've had pre-communion or or preparation services, then that should be a priority for us as we come to the table. But what does the actual communion service itself mean? Well, we've got a a few words to describe that that I'm going to go through uh, today with you and hopefully uh, that will help us as we do so together. So the communion service, first of all, means remembrance. In the Lord's Supper, communicants remember Jesus and his death for their sins. He loved me and gave himself for me. In Galatians 2 verse 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is remembering what Jesus has done in dying for him. And also in Luke uh, 22 and verse 19, um, we're told about Jesus. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it uh, and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we come to the table, the symbols of bread and wine are there to remind us who Jesus is and to remind us what Jesus has done. The communion service is also about thanksgiving. 
At the Lord's Supper, communicants are filled with thanksgiving and praise for all the benefits that they have received because of Christ's death. Then we also find that the communion service is indeed about communion. Christians hold communion with God at all times. In the Lord's Supper, communicants meet with Christ and Christ with them. The risen Christ, the living Lord, is really present with his people as they meet around the table. So in Revelation 3 and verse 20, we read, "Those um, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's a special relationship of communion with Christ, of being with him, that we come to him, but he comes to us. As we read in James, come near to God and he will come near to you. We also read about that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus... So we come into communion because of Jesus' blood shed for us. And then skipping ahead to verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The Lord's Supper is a time of communion, of meeting with Jesus, of being with Jesus, of communicating with him. It's also about uh, nourishment. In the Lord's Supper, communicants receive nourishment for their own souls. This does not come from the, the bread and wine and by, by eating them and, and being nourished by them, but it comes from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus told us in uh, John 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And this links in with the shorter catechism. And uh, question number 96, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth. And the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, but by faith are made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So it's about nourishment. The communion service also means testimony. Through the Lord's Supper, communicants give public testimony that Christ has died for their sins and that they now follow him as their Lord. We find that in Psalm 116. 
and verses 13 and 14. That psalm that we sang together at the beginning of the service on Sunday. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. This is an act of testimony that we make to God by coming to this table and eating. It's also about fellowship. In everyday life, a family organises a meal for its members because they belong together and they care for each other. And the Lord's Supper is the family or fellowship meal of the Christian church. As members of the family of faith, communicants declare that they belong together and that they love each other. In John 13 and verse 35, we read, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And again in Acts 2 and verse uh, 42, uh, we read there about the, the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They broke bread together. They shared in this meal of fellowship together. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's about fellowship. Then we also find that the communion service is about dedication. Through sharing in the Lord's Supper, communicants dedicate themselves to the Saviour and Lord, recalling that Christ has purchased them with his own blood. And if we read in 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. We dedicate ourselves to Jesus because of what he has done for us. And then also we see that that it is about expectation. Sharing in the Lord's Supper is an enriching experience. For this special meal points forward to the return of Christ and to the bliss of heaven. So in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, uh, we read, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. And then also in Revelation 19, Revelation 19 and verse 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. There's an expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back again. There's an expectation that there's more to come. And therefore, as we eat at the table, we think about Jesus coming back 
and we think about his second coming. So the communion service has a lot for us to take on. We remember, we give thanks, we, can, we commune with God, we are nourished, we have a testimony and fellowship and we dedicate ourselves and we look forward to his return. So let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your table. We thank you for all that we receive around that table as we eat and drink together. And today, Lord, we pray for your blessing as we have met with you and communed with you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Thursday the 10th of June. We're continuing uh, to look at what it means to meet around the Lord's table, having uh, done that on Sunday. And today we're asking the question, who should come to the Lord's Supper? And we're following uh, some of the uh, material that our Presbyterian Church has provided for those who are coming to the table for the first time. Uh, so under this section, who should come to the Lord's table, uh, we find sharing in the Lord's Supper is for those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives. They recognise that they are sinners in the sight of a holy and perfect God and believe that Christ has died for the forgiveness of their sins. In repentance and faith, they've come to Christ for salvation, have committed their lives to Christ and recognised him as Lord. Some have received Christ decisively during a church service or mission. Others have received Christ in the privacy of their homes. Some have come to Christ after a period of seeking and searching. Some have come to Christ in childhood, others in their teens or adult years. Whatever the circumstances, the person who comes to the Lord's table must be a person who has first come to Christ. Those who have come to Christ will not be perfect, but they will be conscious that the Lord is in their lives and that life is different with Christ. Shorter catechisms helpful in explaining what it means to come to Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. We read in the Shorter Catechism, question 86. Then the material from the church gives us some common problems that we may face. And um, I'll just read these out to you. Some are troubled by the fact that they cannot give the day and date of their conversion to Christ. Many Christians are in this position. The important point is not the time of the event, but the fact of it. The question is, am I trusting Christ now as my saviour? And am I now living in obedience to Christ as my Lord and Master? Is it evident to others that I am a follower of Christ? So we might not be able to look back on an exact time or date when we came to Christ, but the important thing is that we did come and that we are now living our lives in him. Another common problem, some who genuinely trust and follow Christ never come to the Lord's table because they feel unworthy. We're always unworthy. Indeed, if we feel worthy in ourselves to come to the Lord's table, then you shouldn't be coming at all. 
We must remember that it is Christ himself who makes us fit to come to his supper through his dying for us. We don't come on our own strength, but we come through Jesus Christ. It is Christ himself who invites those who love and trust him to meet at his table. In some places, another problem is that young people are expected to become new communicants merely because they've reached a certain age. And such a practice is clearly wrong in the sight of God, for it leads to false promises and potential hypocrisy. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5, it is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfil it. Another problem, some have sought to come to the Lord's table in latter years because they feel they must do this before the end of their lives. The age of a communicant is largely irrelevant. Admission to the Lord's Supper is on the basis of a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not on how young or how old we are. So how do we come to the Lord's table? Well, according to the Code of the Presbyterian Church, the Kirk Session shall admit to the Lord's Supper only those who have been baptised, who make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, and whose character is consistent with such a profession. After a period of instruction, new communicants are admitted to the Lord's table on profession of faith in Christ. They're introduced to the Kirk Session and formally received into full membership of the Church usually at a pre-communion service. The communicants card published by the Presbyterian Church sets out the following confession and vows. The confession is, I have received Jesus Christ to be my Saviour and Lord of my life. And the vows, since Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, dwells in me by the Holy Spirit, I shall endeavour with his help to be open to his will for my life to live in fellowship with him through daily prayer and Bible study, to obey him and honour him in my daily life, and to witness for him by what I say and how I live, to be regular in attendance at worship and at the Lord's table, to be active in the life and work of my own church, to be loyal to its leadership and to support it financially and in every other way I can to play my full part in his mission to the world. It's essential that those who come to the Lord's table understand exactly what the Lord's Supper means and what is required of those who share in it. Shorter Catechism's a useful guide again, question 97. It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon him, of their repentance, love and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment on themselves. So it's important that we don't come to the Lord's table lightly, but that we take it seriously, that we realise what it is we're doing whenever we come to the table, that we realise what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we realise what we are doing whenever we come to the table. So let's not take the sacrament lightly or take it for granted, but let's give thanks today that we can uh, come and that Jesus Christ has done so much for us. So let's bow together in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, once again, we thank you that we have been able to come to your table. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us so much blessing through your death, your resurrection, our forgiveness, our promise of eternal life. Lord, we pray that you would be with us day by day in all that we do. Help us to live for you. Help us to honour you and glorify you. And help us, Lord, day by day to realise that in coming to this table, we are saying that we have trusted in you and we are accepting your forgiveness and your righteousness in our lives. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Friday the 11th of June. We're reaching the end of another week and all week we've been thinking about what it means to come to communion, to share in the Lord's Supper together. And I've been using the material that our Presbyterian Church has provided to instruct new communicants on what it means to come to the table, uh, thinking that it would be good for each one of us just to reevaluate how we come, what we do, what it means for us, and to think back to that time whenever we first came to the table. And today we're thinking about living the life what it means to uh, be following Jesus, what it means in our lives that we have taken that step of trusting in him and we've come to the table. How do our lives change? So sharing in the Lord's Supper is of great importance, but it's only one part of the Christian life. A profession of faith must be accompanied by obedience to Christ in every area of life. The Christian life can only be lived out with the help of Jesus himself, who says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15 verses 4 and 5, we read, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the Christian life is not to be lived on its own. It is to be with Jesus Christ. And remaining in him is the first step of that. Continual dependence on God is essential for every Christian. So if we go to Philippians 4 and verse 13, we read, I can do this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It is through Jesus that we're able to live the life. We cannot live this life on our own strength. We cannot live up to the expectations of being called Christ Christians. We need Jesus to help us. So living the life means a number of things for us. First of all, living the life means a new presence. Christ has promised to be in us and with us at all times. So in John 1 verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He is with us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. And again in Matthew 28 and verse 20, um, we, we read Matthew 28 and verse 20. 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age, Jesus says to his disciples. I am with you to the very end of the age. So whenever we live the Christian life, we have a new presence with us. Then secondly, we have a new power. The Holy Spirit lives in every Christian to give them power to live the life. And you can see that at the beginning of the book of Acts. You can read those opening chapters and there uh, you find out about the Holy Spirit coming and the difference that the Holy Spirit makes and the power that the Holy Spirit brings. Also then Romans 8 and verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We cannot live this life without the Holy Spirit. So whenever we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. The Holy Spirit also works in each Christian, changing and shaping their lives to make them more like Jesus himself. We call that process sanctification, becoming sanctified, becoming more holy. And so in uh, 2 Corinthians, and uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and uh, verses 16 to 18, we read the following. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There is a new power in our lives. Living the life also means a new relationship with the Lord. A new relationship with the Lord. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 John 1 and verse 3. And uh, so that's important that our fellowship is with the Father uh, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's a new relationship that we have. Our relationship with God is maintained through regular prayer and Bible reading, through public worship, through meetings for prayer, and, there, and also coming to the Lord's table. All of these things develop our relationship with God, this new relationship that we have. Then also living the life means a new allegiance and a new loyalty a new allegiance and a new loyalty. The Christian must not be ashamed to confess Christ and be known as a follower of Christ in the world. In Romans 10 and verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we need to uh, proclaim it. We need to uh, show our allegiance and our loyalty to God. Our allegiance to Christ may mean the loss of some friends, but God will give us many more in their place. Mark chapter 10 and uh, verses 29 and 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age 
homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. We also have a a new conflict to be faced. Sometimes I think we have this danger in the Christian life that we tell people to come to Jesus and everything will be great. Everything will work out. Everything will be special. But there is a new conflict to be faced. The world around the Christian will often be hostile and unsympathetic. In 1 John 2 verse 15 we're warned, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And we were thinking about that from the book of James as well recently. The devil will at times tempt or attack the Christian. And if we think about Ephesians and chapter 6 and verses 10 to 18 there in Ephesians, we've got that whole passage about the armour of God. And we need that armour because of the conflict we're in. So things will not always go the way that we want. Things will not always work out nicely for us. Paul talks about that armour. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Indwelling sin will also trouble the Christian in this life. Christ alone gives the victory in this conflict. So we have a new conflict to be faced. We also have a new body to belong to. Each Christian is a full member of the church, the body of Christ. God has given each Christian gifts and abilities to use in the service of Christ's church. So in Romans 12 and verse 5 we read, So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So it's important that we join with the body of Christ, the believers, to worship together, that we don't just worship on our own. We also have a new security to enjoy. At times living the life will be difficult, but Christ has promised to keep each one who comes to him and to trust in him. So John 10 and verse 27 we read, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then finally we have a new home to look forward to. 
Christ, by his death and resurrection, has made it possible for believers to enter heaven. The Father's house, their eternal home. And in John 14, we have those comforting words as Jesus is talking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So whenever we live the Christian life, whenever we trust in Jesus Christ, there are new things that come into our lives. A new presence, a new power, a new relationship, a new allegiance, a new conflict, a new body, a new security, a new home. But in all these things, we have Jesus Christ to rely upon. So this has been a week where we've been thinking about coming to the Lord's table. We've been thinking about sharing in um, communion together. And so today we come and we trust in Jesus and we ask that he would bless us. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness to us. And we thank you for this table where we have met with you and we have shared in communion. Lord, be with us, we pray, and uh, nourish us this day. Uh, refresh us, we pray. Grant us your strength and help us, Lord, in all things to glorify your name. Amen.